Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Well, Merry Christmas once again, Covenant family. If you're a guest with us, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the honor of opening God's Word this morning for just a few brief moments. Luke chapter 1, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, if you'd like one, there are several uh, in the back. You can, maybe our ushers can get you a copy. Uh, and if you don't personally own one, that'd be our gift to you today, and you can leave uh, with that. Uh, so glad that all of you are here on this Christmas Eve service. I, I love... Christmas music. Who's with me? I, I really do. I love it. Especially the kind that we have spent the last roughly half hour listening to together and singing together with and all of that. Um, can I tell you something else? I also hate Christmas music. I can't stand it. Sometimes. Sometimes. It really depends on the tune that's being played, the mood I'm in, the circumstances at the time. I mean, there, there are, it, who else is with me, right? It just depends. I don't want anybody shouting out any titles because you'll make somebody else mad. There'll be something you hate that they love. There'll be something that grates on your nerves. Sometimes there, there are a few select songs, and I could name them now. I will not in order to make you, I, I don't want to make anybody mad. And, and, you know, furthermore, I would be right and you would be wrong. But nevertheless, when I hear those songs in the car, in the truck, I, I just turn the station. I, I just don't do it. Sometimes because it grates on my nerves. Sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes I think it's stupid. And sometimes because it brings about emotions in me that either maybe I don't even want to deal with at the time uh, or I, I would like to dismiss because I would like to go about my day. And it, you know, songs can do that, can't they? And, and it's more than just the lyrics. It's more than just the melody or the harmony. It's more than just the, the, the period or the decade in which it was written and performed. It's, it's, it's where you were the first time you heard it. And, and somehow that ends up being more and more acute at, at Christmas time. And I just find it interesting. You, you combine a bad song with a bad moment, and it can actually create trauma in your soul. Furthermore, you can combine a good song with a bad moment. And even if everything is true, it just sort of leaves you numb. What I want us to look at this morning is a Holy Spirit-inspired song, a very different kind of song that if, that if we ingest it the way we should, will not create trauma and will not leave you numb. And I get the feeling, especially this close to Christmas, that there may be a few people in front of me who need this today because some of you are discouraged. Some of you are discouraged just because extended families coming over that'll pass in a few hours and, and you don't don't just look straight ahead at me because I know some of you sitting right next to them right now just look straight ahead all right you, you're but you're discouraged some of you won't be discouraged about larger stuff you've taken stock of 2023 and it wasn't the year that you thought it would be or certainly not that you would want it to be some of you know some things that are coming ahead in 2024 and you're not looking forward to that and so it's difficult for you to really appreciate the next 48 to 72 hours of your life because you know what's coming at hour 96 and you don't you don't want to deal with that and it discourages you some of you this year are grieving because there's going to be an empty seat tomorrow where there was someone who was very meaningful to you the year before 
there's loss of life, or there's been a loss of circumstance. Something is radically different now than it was in, in 2022, and it, and it brings a lot of grief to your soul. And, and then some of you, like me, in moments of my life, you're, you're just sad, and you, don't, you may not even really know why. It, it's, it's vicious, I think, almost, some, sometimes to think how much mental health struggles are exacerbated around this time of year. But what we're going to learn from a hymn that was a war hymn written by a young girl who was probably about 14 years of age that we find here in, in Luke chapter 1. Scholars refer to this section of Luke's gospel as the Magnificat. This is Mary's war hymn. This is her song. And, and when you consider her circumstances, it, it really is, as they say, a Christmas miracle that she was able to write such words. This is one of the most powerful poetic descriptions of declared victory you will ever read in your life, written by a girl who's probably around 14 years of age at the time. She's engaged. She's been told by an angel that she is pregnant with the Son of God, even though she's never been with that man or, for that matter, any other man. And so imagine a young girl about this age, in an honor-shame culture, no less, in first century Judea, thinking to herself, now i got to go home and tell my parents this. What, what, what are they going to say? Imagine what's being said about her. Imagine what possibly, again, in an honor-shame culture in the first century, is, is just blatantly being said to her. What her family are going through. What, the disappointment in her fiancé's eyes, because he hasn't he, he doesn't know at this point in the story whether or not he's even supposed to believe her. This is not a happy, fun time in her life. She is dealing with some really dark moments, and it's in the middle of that darkness she decides to visit her older cousin, Elizabeth, who by a lesser miracle, just being her advanced age, she also finds herself pregnant with John, the man who will be Jesus' cousin. And as she comes to Elizabeth, she hears a very different thing that, than I am certain she heard in her own town of Nazareth. In verse 40, 42, we read Elizabeth's words to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken to her from the Lord. You believed God in spite of your circumstances, and you are a blessed woman. So you have an angel, and then you have a cousin, and they have messages for her that, that not only empower her, but apparently they give her the strength that she's going to need in the three decades of her life that are to come, because it's not going to be easy. And that strength we see just sort of pour out in, in the deep emotion that we see in these roughly 10 verses. This young girl becomes instant poet and prophetess, and what she says can give you some power too as you look toward tonight and tomorrow and everything that, that's going to come afterward. Let me, let me just share with you briefly this morning three ways that Mary's song empowers you. Actually, let's just put it this way. Three ways that the incarnation empowers you. God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're in the middle of any of those circumstances I described earlier, you may be wondering what difference it makes in your life right now. Well, the first difference is, it, is you are empowered through your destiny. God has given you a destiny. He gave Mary a destiny. We read in verse 46, And Mary said, And my soul magnifies the Lord, 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on from all generations, all generations from now on, will call me blessed. You notice the difference, the contrast between the, the bookends of that particular phrase? I mean, she starts with, you, you've looked on the humble estate of your servant, all right? I, I'm poor, I'm pregnant, I'm a teen, I'm female, I live in Nazareth. That's five for five. Like, the, this, she's not discounting the reality that surrounds her or that she's facing. She, she embraces the fact that this is, all of this is very real and all of this is very dark. But where does that end? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So whatever she's drinking, I want some of that. Right? If you can be in that kind of situation and still feel like that, how do you get to where she was? Well, we pick up some, some clues to that when we look at the wider narrative of Scripture. The language and the tone here are strikingly reminiscent of another young woman that we read about in Scripture. And she finds herself powerless. Her name is Hannah. And we find Hannah's story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah's pain, like so many people that I've had the opportunity to, to suffer alongside of and, and demonstrate compassion toward as a pastor who, who find themselves, for whatever reason, unable to have children. But in this setting, it was worse. Because this was a culture that wrongly believed that infertility meant there was a curse. And so Hannah believes that she's no doubt living with that. And, and in that broken heart, she says to the Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll give that child right back to you. The Lord, we're told in the scriptures, answered her prayer in the affirmative. He doesn't always do that, but in this case he did. And she names the child Samuel, which simply means the Lord has heard. And in chapter 2, she says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Now, God may answer your prayer in the affirmative the way he did Hannah's. He may not. But here's what you need to know. The word Samuel is still true. God hears God hears you when you speak. God hears you when you cry out. God hears you in your pain. And we know that because he heard the cries of all of humanity and he answered it in the very thing we celebrate tomorrow. And so we see this, this, these biographies of these two women, circumstances having left them disempowered, finding empowerment in the destiny God gives to them. In the case of Samuel, we have a womb that's opened and the last faithful judge of Israel is born. In the case of Mary, it's what we celebrate tomorrow. An unlikely girl has been chosen to give birth to the Son of God. And the result of which is, for the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, starting with Elizabeth, continue to rightly bless her for her role in literally delivering, delivering the Messiah that was promised by God into the world so that our souls could be saved. Christmas is a story of God making you and me into something we would never otherwise be without him. We can be empowered through the destiny that God gives us. Secondly, we can be empowered through the rule that God has over us. Verse 49, Mary goes on, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She's positive about her destiny because of the identity of the one who gives her that destiny. And when we look at these verses, there's this irony concerning who does and does not share in the rule of Christ in the end. Two groups of people very plainly differentiated from each other, the proud and the humble. And of the proud, Mary says, God scatters them in the thoughts of their hearts. He uses their, what does it mean to scatter someone in the thoughts of their own heart? Have you ever met somebody proud? They kind of like themselves. They, they search for themselves on Google. Right? What, what does this mean? He, he uses their own positive press to puff them up greater so that he can bring them down harder. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And we're reminded when we read all of Scripture that, that God everywhere it manifests itself demonstrates a seething hatred for pride. He can't stand it. And he ultimately will remove the proud from their power and their position. In fact, there's some, some good speculation among the scholarship here as to whether when she spoke these words, Mary had a particular ruler in mind. Because at this moment in history, Herod is ruling over Judea. And Herod, if you know anything about him, know that you know he was wicked, he was paranoid, he was thin-skinned, and he was bloodthirsty to the point that he killed even some of his own kids. I know some of us feel like that sometimes, but we would never do it, right? Herod actually did it, and he did it for purely selfish purposes. He thought that's what it would take to retain power, and he loved his power more than he loved his own offspring, the Roman Emperor Augustus has been recorded in history as saying, I'd rather be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. That was the reputation he'd earned. And that depression, that paranoia, turned to, best we can tell, 2,000 years removed, a likely case of dementia. And then toward the end of his life, that gets complicated by this, these severe physical maladies. The Jewish historian Josephus simply called it Herod's evil. Best we can tell, it was a chronic and painful kidney disease combined with a, a form of fournier gangrene that, that slowly and excruciatingly took his life roughly two years after the birth of Jesus. So you have that probably in all likelihood uh, captured for us in poetic form right here. Right here. The mighty king, the ruthless warrior is going to be made humble, stripped of everything he has and the humble teenage girl from Nazareth prophetically had declared in all likelihood just a few months earlier, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has brought them down. He did it because of pride. Then there's the humble. He exalts them. Ruthless kings suffer in anguish. Mighty emperors remain oblivious. God invites into this pivotal moment in history. Sheep and goats and shepherds foreign travelers, and a teenage mom and her fiancé. This is the defining moment in all of human history, so defining, in fact, that hundreds of us have gathered in this room now, hundreds gathered last night, hundreds more still to gather at 4 o'clock, times the number of churches in Jefferson County in West Virginia in the world 2,000 years later. All of them are invited to that moment, the moment when God's promise to our first parents 
was going to be ultimately fulfilled. You remember that one? I'm going to send someone to fix what you have broken, what our parents jacked up and what you and me came behind and only made worse. This is that moment. But the proud don't get an invitation to this moment. Only the humble. And everybody in this room this morning has the potential for the very kind of destiny that we read about here, that Mary describes for herself. Whether or not that happens depends not on your circumstances, but whether you respond to the rule of Jesus in your own life because true, genuine empowerment can't come from anywhere else. And if you feel like you got it from somewhere else, eventually you will lose it. It's going to happen because God opposes the proud. Are you proud? Are you proud? Are you one of those people who thinks more highly of yourself than you should? Are you, do you have a little sense of entitlement? Maybe nobody else even realizes it, but inside you're like, I should have this, I should have that, this shouldn't be. God, the only way you can escape that is to humble yourself. Give your life over to Jesus. Let him determine what your destiny is. Empowerment through the destiny he gives you. Empowerment through his rule. Here's the final one. You can be empowered by the incarnation because God is faithful to you. He's faithful to you. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, Christmas is a great time to remember that God keeps his promises. The moment when he entered human history, that was the ultimate fulfillment of the very first promise that God ever made. And maybe like Mary, you're in some times right now that you wonder if he's ever going to fulfill another one. How can she speak like this? Furthermore, how can I get whatever it is that she's got so I can feel that way? You remember, you, you serve a faithful God. He's never broken a promise. It may not be fulfilled yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And then you can have the kind of empowerment that we not only see in this burst of emotion and this prophetic poetic witness, but, but we, you know what we also see? We see three decades after this of faithfulness to God all the way to the point that she's at the foot of the cross looking at her crucified son. That's the faithfulness that Mary is empowered to live out. And we know that also in the short run, because after the visit to Elizabeth, after this poem, after this flood of emotion, you know where she goes? She goes back to Nazareth. And nothing has changed. She's going back to the scorn, back to the eye rolls, back to a fiancé who at this point in the story is still trying to figure out whether he believes this, back to a life where her son will be viewed as an illegitimate child, back to the same problems and the same darkness and the same discouraging situation that she left behind in order to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And for some of you, that's what Tuesday morning looks like, and you know it, and you're wondering, how am I going to get through that? How am I going to do it? Well, maybe for some of you it's tomorrow. Maybe it's just Christmas Day, you know. Again, extended family. <laughs> what are you talking about, Pastor? I look forward to going back to work. If I could go into work tomorrow, I would. Right? Some people feel that way. 
how do you, how do you, how do you deal with the fact that this holiday is going to come and going to go, and in all likelihood, there will be a return to what was, and you will find that the what was is still what is, and, and nothing has changed. It's not about your surroundings. There is a joy and a peace and a sense of equanimity and a sense of empowerment that is not indexed to your circumstances, and we know it on the basis of God's Word because we just read a 14-year-old girl telling us about it. You don't need anything to change necessarily. The issue is, am I going to wake up December 26th with fresh empowerment to face those challenges? And the only way that happens is for you to draw your strength from the one person that Mary here is still carrying in her womb. A child that Luke tells us grows up physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and he becomes the perfect man. He obeys God perfectly. Then he gives himself by dying on a cross and taking the punishment for your sins and mine. He rose from the dead, physically, bodily, conquering death for you and me. And that man, sitting enthroned in the heavens, now invites you and me. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Turn from your sins and put your faith in me. It really does come all back to Jesus, doesn't it? Come to him. Humble yourself. Give yourself to him today. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you for what the incarnation means. That it's important that we remember this really happened. This isn't some myth, some fanciful tale. This is the moment when you invaded the history that you wrote on all of our behalf. Lord, it's not, it's not important merely for the, the recitation of some kind of orthodox creed. It is necessary for us to know that that moment can still affect us at this time. And so, Father, as we prepare to, to sing one last song, to conclude with the singing of Silent Night, to light candles, we remember that this was a moment when light invaded the darkness of the world, and we are promised the darkness will not overcome it. So we thank you for that. I pray for hearts to be encouraged and changed this morning. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here. And I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.